0: stay positive despite the ebbs and the flows. Because I mean, if anyone who's doing this can tell you that you're going to have times, the highs are highs and the lows are low. So just being able to sort of mitigate those ebbs and flows really will make you successful.
1: Best ever listeners, do you want to make more money on your real estate projects? Well, I'm guessing that I'm hearing you say, oh yeah, baby. (laughs) Well, guess what my friends? Today's best ever sponsor fund that flip is working with well one of our previous best ever guests who has the most po- one of the most popular episodes jay scott if you aren't familiar with this episode then go check that out episode 217 if you are because you're a loyal best ever listener then you know that he knows how the heck to both analyze deals especially flips how to optimize the profits on those flips, and how to look at the market. Because of that, Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has worked with him and put together a guide that is the seven tips to increase your real estate profits in today's market. Go check that out. Go get that guide. I've read through it myself. I've learned a lot of things from it, from how to analyze the market cycles, as well as how to optimize profits and not lose money or mitigate your risk for losing money on your deals. Go check it out. FundThatFlip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. You're going to learn the tools to better understand your local market and position your business for success. You're going to know how to analyze the real estate cycle and how to use short-term investing to capitalize on the market cycle and seven concrete actionable tips to make more money on your deals. FundThatFlip forward slash best ever. Best ever, listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. You are listening to the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. And well, Barbara Corcoran's been on the show. Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad Poor Dad, and many others with us today. We have someone who has quite a seasoned experience in the acquisition of single family homes. How you doing, Matt McQuerry? I'm
0: doing well. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, my friend. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Matt. He is the director of operations at US Acquisitions, which is a company that buys properties for fix and flip and long-term hold investors. He's a former acquisition analyst for Colony American Homes and he deployed 3.5 billion, that's with a B, in capital across 12 states purchased Roughly 20,000 homes. He's based now in Phoenix, Arizona, and you can say hi to him at his company's website, us-acquisitions.com, and you can just click on that in the show notes page. With that being said, Matt, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now?
0: Really departed from Colony, been about 12 months, about you know, August last year. The firm's, as a lot of people know, I don't know if they're familiar with the firm, but they're a uh, primarily a property management company now. They've merged with Starwood to sort of form a mega landlord. Okay. Doesn't bode well for an acquisitions guy. So I sort of took my skill set and started to track down the entrepreneurial route. Now I'm working with a few folks out here in Phoenix. We've built a platform. We sort of designed some software around the sourcing of distressed properties, particularly for like medium sized flip firms, guys that have, I guess, five to 20 million in capital. And it's been interesting. I mean, it's it's, it's a hyper competitive market, as a lot of people know, it's any sort of advantage you can get helps. And you know, we're trying to constantly redefine what it means to be on the front end of this stuff.
1: You're working with investors who have five to $20 million in capital, and then they buy a portfolio of properties?
0: Mostly just guys that are buying one or two flips at a time. So like one or two a week. So I think it's, they just got a line of credit that's total five mm-hmm. to 10. It's a lot different than Colony obviously, just because these guys are a little bit more in the trenches, yep. a little bit more scrappy. We try to identify properties that make sense, right? So we, we sort of take their buying criteria and then apply it to the platform that we've designed in, in order to sort of filter the best deals up to them.
1: You mentioned you're an acquisitions guy what skill sets do you use the most as an acquisitions guy? That's a good
0: question. I think the best part about this job, and I think the, the most fun, is being able to sort of apply it like a wide set of skills. So you gotta be able to t- communicate with these sellers, guys that are have an emotional attachment to these houses. I mean, a lot of people don't look at these things like we do, they this is my home, this is where I raised my family, this is, this is my mother-in-law's home, this is my grandpa's home who died. Like you need to be able to relate with these folks and sort of identify with them. So I think an ability to sort of communicate across all lines of business, right? So you you talk to these people who are the homeowners, you sort of convince them that you're the right solution for them. And then on the flip side of the coin, you you get in front of these, these guys that are all numbers, they could care less about the emotional piece of this business and you sort of need to identify with them as well. So I think being able to communicate is, as cliche as that sounds, it's actually very valuable. Also being able to sort of assess a property, like being familiar with the geography. Single family homes is a street by street analysis. So it could be a huge departure north and south of a particular road. Being able to sort of be intimate with that is also pretty helpful.
1: How do you do so, that when you're sitting in an office or you know, even if you were to drive around? I mean, obviously when you're buying 20,000 homes at the last job, you weren't able to go street by street physically being there. So how do you do it?
0: Back at Colony, we actually levered regional brokerages and regional agents to sort of do a lot of that work just because you're, you're right. I mean, when you're putting a billion dollars to work every six months, I think at, at our peak, we were spending 300 million a month. So I mean, at that clip, it's impossible to delineate between North of Indian School, South of Indian School. Like No one knows, right? So at that scale, we had guys that did that for us. We sort of employed different firms within each state within each city and then now i've sort of taken a step back and become that firm so now we only operate here in phoenix we've done a little workout in las vegas it didn't pan out for us i don't think the market's large enough but it really boils down to time in the market right so colony is only a three-year-old firm they use guys that have been operating for 20 25 years and their experience to sort of drive the boat now I'm just trying to build that experience out here in Phoenix. So it's, you know, we've I've got to work with a few folks that have been out here for a while. So it really boils down to just time.
1: You said you've been doing this for about 12 months, right? Yeah. How many properties have you
0: all sold? Inception to date, I think we're at 57.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: When we're building a little steam, I think uh, the first 6 months were a little bit of a yeah. learning experience. Of course. And so we've I would really say that Our success would be year to date, January to now, because I think that's really when we started to get our stride.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, how does a company like yours make money?
0: I'll talk you through the process. It's really a function of the spread, right? Between where someone finds the deal attractive and where we can sort of find the strike price from the seller's perspective. So we source from the MLS, we source from off market, which a lot of people are familiar with. We call them bird dogs, guys that are out there in the field that are knocking doors. There's the guys that do the the mailers, all these sorts of of ways to find properties. You just find where your exit's at, right? So you've you've got a stable of investors that are willing to pay a certain percentage of repaired value and you sort of just back into that number. So it's just an arbitrage play. get them at 83% and you sell them at 85% or in the case of an MLS deal, which a lot of people, I think, scoff at that marketplace. They think that because it's on the MLS, it's inherently a bad deal, which isn't true. At that point, you buy the house at 155 you take the 3% commission, and you just do a traditional brokerage play.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you're representing XY investor to buy a house, and it's as simple as any other traditional transaction.
1: When you look at the types of ways you get deals, you mentioned on market and off market, MLS and then off market. Which way has given your side the most money on a per deal basis?
0: This is probably contrary to what a lot of people think, but I actually prefer to do deals off the MLS. I think it's probably the way we've built the firm. It's probably a 70-30 split. So the MLS is really where we've sort of driven a lot of our revenue from just because through the MLS, you have two parties that are incentivized to come to a solution. So you have the listing agent that's and we're the selling agent, that your interests are aligned. So they work with you. Obviously, price is a major factor. Like if you're not getting to a price that the seller finds attractive or acceptable, they won't go with it. But you have two people that are incentivized to get a deal done together. I mean, it's the same thing with an off-market. But the difference is with an off-market, these folks, they sort of take that property to the wall to say. They, They want every nickel and dime out of it. Whereas the agent, they get their 3%. major change in the price doesn't affect their rip too much. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. How do you do more of that? And that's what we sort of built the firm around is we've built some, I guess you'd call it like some proprietary tools, which sort of filter through all the MLS deals on a daily basis and essentially rank and file these deals in a way that allows us to pursue what we would consider like the top five to 10%, right? So there's so many deals coming on the MLS Every day. And what we've done is we're, we know we've built something that allows us to sort of take the best and like sort of deliver them onto our underwriters' desks. So these underwriters are looking at instead of, you know, 25,000 homes, which, you know, the entire listing, that's probably the listing database out here in Phoenix, but they're looking at closer to 100 to 200 a week. And of those 100 and 200, they submit 175, 150 offers. We obviously defer to them to pursue the deals that. Make the most sense. And then of those 150, you know, you probably get a response on 2530. And then of those 2530, you get seven to eight under contract. And it's sort of, you know, it's just the, the old filter game, right? Law of numbers, more offers, theoretically, the more contracts, theoretically, the more deals.
1: Is there a back of the napkin formula that you use whenever you're running the numbers on a deal?
0: Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's probably pretty similar to what a lot of folks are using, but you, you start at the as-repaired value, so the retail value of the home, where you think an FHA buyer would be willing to pay your conventional guys, guys that want to live in the home. You back out the rehab costs, which we've got a guy that's done some contract work, try to use some general assumptions, you know, 5K for a kitchen if it needs AC roof, etc. And then you get to what we call an as-is value. And that as is value, you take a, a discount to that. So we typically, we've noticed that th- that in and in Phoenix at least, investors are willing to pay 85 to 87 percent of that as is value. So any price below that, essentially, is a deal.
1: That'd be your profit margin.
0: Exactly. And then you know, like I said, if it's from an MLS, you can pay more for that house just because you're getting the three percent commission, which sort of helps hedge. You know, it sort of helps hedge the spread that you would require otherwise off an off market deal.
1: What's the main challenge you have in this business?
0: The barrier to entry is very low. So there's a lot of folks out there that are doing exactly what we're doing. I mean, we're not really reinventing the wheel here. I mean, We're trying to thread the needle and, and try to be the best practices within this space. But there's just so many folks that can go and do this exact same thing. So it's being able to compete with guys, big investors, small investors, all you know, all over the place, right? You've got Open Door that buys 150 houses a, a month all the way down to... The mom and pop shops just inherited a couple of mill that want to go put that to work. So it's just it's just the hyper competitiveness of this business to trying to tell people that you are adding value. I mean, a lot of people don't look kindly on wholesaling deals just because it's, hey, I could have found that deal myself. Mm-hmm. You know, why am I paying you to find me a house when I can just just as easily go on the MLS and do it myself? And so being able to sort of prove to these investors that you're actually adding value, it's, you know, it's interesting, right? It's a dance, you could say.
1: How do you focus your time?
0: That's a good question. So I try to split the day up in a couple of different ways. Because we're a small shop, we all kind of do everything, right? So there's the acquisitions part. There's the identifying of the properties. There's the the transaction management part. First half of the day, I try to make sure that the deals that we have, that we're working on are, you know, no barriers to close. They're on their way to hit the close of escrow deadlines, et cetera. So I spend some time in the morning doing that. And then later in the afternoon, I spend time trying to call guys and say, Hey, look, we've got 123 Main Street at this price. Does that work for you? Yes, no. If not, what price does work? And so I spent some time doing that. And then probably another quarter of my day just working with the analysts making sure you know, hey, how's the market feel? Does it feel strong? Like what kind of reactions are we getting from the sellers? How's the pipeline look? Is there any tweaks we could make? Obviously trying to keep an eye on future growth as well as daily operations.
1: On the working with the analyst part, how many analysts do you have? And how do you compensate them? Is it based on closings or is it just salary or what?
0: We have two. One primarily. Two was working with us in Las Vegas and we're sort of retooling him to sort of start LA because I think that's where we're heading next. I think it's a big market, makes sense. But they're basically compensated on a base sal plus little monthly incentive. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the right answer. I think maybe over time we may change that to just be completely commission-based. Compensation's one of those like age-old questions where just constantly evolving, right? You want to keep these guys happy enough to stay, but not too happy where they're not doing anything. So it's a nuanced problem, I guess you could call it, or a nuanced uh, situation.
1: What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Good question.
0: I think it's, It's being able to stay positive despite the ebbs and the flows. Because I mean, if anyone who's doing this can tell you that you're going to have times, the highs are highs and the lows are low. So just being able to sort of mitigate those ebbs and flows really will make you successful, right? Because a lot of people get discouraged and they don't want to do it anymore because they had a bad week or a bad month and some guy yelled at them or just being able to keep grinding regardless of the fluctuations in the business cycle I guess. I mean it's a it's a seasonal business, right? Like so, slows down in December, you take your time, take your vacations when you've got them and when it's hot don't stop until the market stops, right? So just when you're on, keep going and when you're off, enjoy your time.
1: You ready for the Best Ever Lightning Round? Sure. All right. First a quick word from our Best Ever Partners. Go check out Mass Venture, which is Texas's first approved equity crowdfunding platform. Which means that all Texas residents can now invest in local real estate projects. All Texas residents can now invest in real estate projects. That's that's a big distinction. Usually it's just accredited investors. Nathan wrote, she's been a guest on the the show, episode two hundred and twenty five. Go listen to that if you want to learn more about his business as well as here's best ever advice and go to Mass Venture, M A S S V E N T U R E to check out their company. Best ever book you've read.
0: Uh Last Man Standing, the book about Jamie Dimon, CEO of JP Morgan.
1: Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it?
0: Uh, Probably when I lost Colony, if I'm not crossing the T's and dotting the I's when I first started. You lost what? I ended up costing Colony about half mil because there was an addendum that I wasn't paying attention to and it was shorted like three houses. So we went under contract thinking we were buying 20 houses when we only were buying 17. (laughs) oh but you you, oh but you paid for the 20 yes we bought we paid for the other three that were never delivered so that was my fault just because i wasn't paying close enough attention to the actual itemized property list that we were purchasing
1: ah that's whenever you all were moving quickly spending 300 million a month
0: that was an interesting experience right like you, you could
1: trust but verify right yeah the moment you figured out that the three houses weren't there what'd you do
0: At that point, I sort of just went to my managing partner and just told him straight up, and he was just like, you're not serious, right? And I was like, yeah, that just happened. So I just, being transparent and sort of letting the powers that be know immediately that we had a problem. I think we could have probably reneged on the deal, but we were trying to build a reputation in the marketplace that we were a buyer. So we figured like, hey, 500 in the grand scheme of things is probably, yeah, it hurts, but we want these guys to keep bringing us deals. So let's just keep kind of
1: powering forward. Cool. Yep. That's all you can do. <laughs> that or take a $500,000 hit on your salary, which I'm sure that wasn't what you were <laughs> Yeah. I'd still be working that off. Yeah. <laughs> Best ever way you like to give back? I think
0: giving back in times better than giving back in dollars just because it just means more. Habitat for Humanity, doing done a few projects for them, which is actually fun too because you learn how to do some uh, pretty nifty construction work like fixing the framework to a foundation, stuff like that. But I, I, admittedly, I could do more.
1: Best ever deal you've done?
0: When I was at Colony, we took down a portfolio of 300 homes in Houston at the time when oil prices were a little bit higher and there was quite a bit of demand for rental properties out there.
1: So you bought the homes. Was it a good deal or like what?
0: It was just a fun process altogether. I mean, at the time I was relatively new. So we flew out to Houston, met with the, the home builder was Triton Home. So met with their operating board, you know, sort of facilitated the underwriting part and then the diligence part to so, drive, you know, getting guys to drive the houses, verifying diligence in the rents, locations, of the homes, and then ultimately closing on it, which ended up solidifying our position in Houston. And it was, Fun deal. I think we ended. I think it ended up costing us like 32 mil at the time for like 325, and then it was a first of refusal on another 300 that came through, which we picked up as well. So,
1: what do you think they're worth now?
0: It's a good question. I haven't been following Houston as much, but I think that that book's definitely appreciated a bit because we picked that up back in late 12. So, it's probably worth call it like a buck 50 a house. It's probably closer to maybe 175. But I heard they were actually having trouble managing that book just because demand for rental units kind of went down. So mm.
1: that,
0: that's a good question. I, I don't I don't really know the answer to that. Uh,
1: you might have already mentioned this for dollar purposes. I hope you haven't made a bigger mistake. But what's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far?
0: Yeah, that might have. I mean, I'd probably <laughs> say that one topped.
1: You don't have a million much. million dollar mistake in, in your tool belt. No, I'm trying
0: to think about if, if I like really offended like a client or a seller, which would have costed more than that over time, right? So like yes, you burn a bridge and yeah. then over time, like some guys get caught up and because somebody didn't pay him 3,500 bucks, which was a commission and what that ends up costing them is a relationship over a lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing comes to mind, but that would definitely be a bigger mistake than that. It's just I'm- burning a guy who's a power player.
1: Smart thinking. I uh, appreciate that. And thanks for sharing that. What's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you?
0: My email, which is just Matt at com, where you can always just call me. Take a look at the website. I think there's some contact information on there, but I've got a bigger pockets account, which I think is pretty interesting. I wish I could sort of reach out to the listener base, but I'm curious to see what people are participating on that forum and if there's any success stories because mm-hmm. I'm still getting used to it.
1: For what? Bigger pockets? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. I actually did an analysis of the investors who invest in my deal. So I buy apartment buildings with investors and share in the profits. And it was the second or third leading source for where I met people who eventually became best investors in my business. Oh, that's great. Well, Matt, thank you for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with best ever listeners and talking about... Buying 20,000 homes at your last job and now starting your own gig, getting up and running over the last 12 months, and really over the last seven or so months. Now your team's been kind of become active. How you approach it, just a, a simple high level back of the napkin. As you mentioned, is you start with the retail value of the home, what an FHA buyer will pay, then you act out the rehab costs, so you subtract those out, you have certain estimates, and then you have the then as values or the as is value. That's what I was trying to say. And then you basically take a spread off of what people will pay, and there's your business model. And then the types of learnings that you have had along the way, you know, playing at a very high level at that last company one of them is pay attention to details. And then the other, I love how you mentioned with the, you know, even though it costs $500,000 to the company, perhaps burning a bridge could result in even more opportunity costs down the road. So thinking through that, I think that's something that we should all keep in mind as we build friendships and relationships, as we go on this journey together in real estate investing. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks for having me. Take care.
1: Go check out Mass Venture, which is Texas' first approved equity crowdfunding platform, which means that all Texas residents can now invest in local real estate projects. All Texas residents can now invest in real estate projects. That's, that's a big distinction. Usually it's just accredited investors. Nathan wrote, she's been a guest on the, the show, episode 225. Go listen to that if you want to learn more about his business as well as here's best ever advice and go to MassVenture, M-A-S-S-V-E-N-T-U-R-E, to check out their company.